because we want to make a connection. We want to, they're here for three, four hours. And that's where I think you create exceptional experience as well, is you actually listen to the guests. You know, I always say to the staff, it's like, don't just go and say, this is oyster with green ants. First, ask them a question to engage with them. That's how you would have a conversation with a human. Have you ever had green ants? Today on Dirty Linen, we are checking in with a chef that I know well from his time in Melbourne at Voudemont, where he was executive chef. But Justin James is now over in Adelaide at Restaurant Botanic in Botanic Gardens in Adelaide. Justin, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Tell me where life finds you today. What's Restaurant Botanic all about? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm over in Adelaide right now in the Botanic Gardens. Um, and Restaurant Botanic is kind of the updated version of the old Restaurant Botanic Gardens restaurant. And we did some exciting renovations back in uh, during May and June and recently reopened. Uh, we've been open for about 12 weeks now. Wow, what's what's open restaurant life like? I don't know about that here in <laughs> Melbourne. Hopefully, I will soon. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> pretty fortunate to uh, come across this opportunity in Adelaide and, and and make the move. And life life is pretty, you know, I want to say quote unquote normal over here. Um, things not too different. Just a few QR check ins here and there, and some limitations to capacity. But other than that, it's. <laughs> It's like COVID, COVID what? <laughs> Love it. Yeah, hopefully we'll be there one day. Um, what's the food like there? What's the what's the concept? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll back up here for a second. There used to be uh, the idea of the restaurant. It's in this, this heritage building that's over 100 years old, has so much character to it. And before I joined the team, they were using the produce around the Botanic Gardens as well. Um, and now the, the new kind of idea and the vision that I'm bringing to the restaurant uh, with the renovation renovations is uh, it's an open kitchen. And before it was all about the, looking outside to the gardens, but I'm bringing the gardens inside. Um, and it's not just by grabbing a leaf from the gardens and put it on a dish. We're really thinking outside the box, using a lot of um, techniques to change these ingredients in the botanic garden and, and tell a story. Uh, on a plate through about 16, 17 dishes. Wow. So, I mean, that sounds like, uh, yeah, a real journey. Tell us, give us a, an example of some of the produce that you're using and the dishes that you turn it into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it starts from the moment, like I say, it's like one of the best restaurant uh, entrance for uh, a restaurant. You walk through the Friends Gate and you're surrounded by these Morton uh, uh, Bay fig trees. They're just massive and like, it just you, the the smell and the aroma and the sounds just it really gets all your senses going, uh, and you know it's about a five six minute walk to to the restaurant. So I try to take everything I see every day when I walk in and put that in the in the in the experience. So it's not also about taste, um, and it just changes. There's like microclimates in the gardens as well. So there's some things that are just from that should only grow in like uh, Queensland that are growing down here as well. So it's really a special kind of ecosystem. And uh, from the moment you walk in, we have like a tea that has all these flowers and herbs that you, you immerse yourself into. And the base of the tea is made with green ants. Um, and it's very sour. You know, we're coming into summer, so it's something that's just really refreshing as well, awakens the palate. Uh, and it's, you know, made me think about how I walk into the gardens every day and, and check out what's good and what's not. Uh, it's very five senses because you also grab in the, the the cup as well and it's just raw texture 
that you know kind of reminds me of the you know just kind of forge and getting your hands through some rocks and soil and whatnot uh, and going with the tea sounds so good uh, <laughs> it's pretty good it's pretty i, I think it's all right and uh it's we serve the tea with the tea uh, oyster from coffin bay it has a big pile of green ants on it it almost makes sense because your oysters are always served with some kind of like lemon or meaning that and these green ants just have full of acidity kefir lime and uh coriander um and then we we use some of the horseradish that's just being grown in botanical gardens as well to season off that oyster um and basically every dish has some kind of you know idea around the garden uh and then one another idea at the end of the meal almost is a dish made from the uh fallen branches of the bunya bunya tree now um the bunya bunya is a is a pine tree. It's one of the world's largest pine tree. Creates one of the world's largest pine cone and pine nuts. But it takes it takes about two to three years for the pine cones to fruit. Um, and I really want to champion the produce in the gardens. Uh, so I could just buy some bunyas from Queensland, but uh, I've been waiting for them patiently. But in the interim, I was like, what else? How else can we use this 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 product? So I looked at the uh, the dead branches on the ground, and we actually make a dessert. Uh, just with those uh, fallen branches, which is is pretty awesome. <laughs> what do you mean, like some kind of wood pudding? <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, it's like a wood pudding. Um, we we take all the <laughs> all the branches, we help the gardeners out, you know, cleaning it up as well. Um, and then we we give them a good clean, and then we roast them till they almost catch on fire in the oven. Uh, and then we like to steep it in cream, and it's quite bitter. We just off balance that bitterness with some sugar, and then we kind of set the cream. And then we put a little bit of sugar on top and torch it. It's like an ice cream slash creme brulee kind of had a baby. And then and that's it. And then we serve it with uh, a sauce made from uh, those same roasted branches, uh, a little bit of filtered water, infusion, salt, sugar, and native thyme. That's so interesting. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, with the team that was there before, uh, I'm assuming some of them are, are still there now and they've got this new exec chef that's come in that's just like, guys, we're just going to make dessert out of these sticks. Um, and what's it been like kind of, you know, um, getting the crew on board with the way that you're looking at the menu there? Yeah, there's, they've been super responsive to it. They're excited about it. Um, I mean, these the ideas that I have for the restaurant, I, I think they're, they're really, they're out there and they're, they're, they're creative and yeah, it's not for everyone. You know, like I say, the menu's not for everyone. Um, and that's okay. Cause I would say if you are for everyone, then you, you're basically like a Kmart. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And the other thing about, uh, it's such a radical idea to dine and especially to Adelaide. It was a bit, I was a bit concerned how the, uh, you know, the, the general public will take it, but it's been, they've been nothing but, you know, the best guests in the world, really taking it on board and people are coming, coming back monthly, <laughs> which is, uh, which is awesome to see. Cause I think that's the biggest recognition you can have in a restaurant is repeat guests. Well, especially a restaurant, which I guess is a bit of an investment and a bit of an experience. It's not somewhere where you just, you know, be like, oh, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, let's go to Botanic. Absolutely. Um, what? What's the deal with um with the foraging in the gardens? Because if I if I walk around my botanic gardens and start you know picking some flowers for dinner, then I'm going to get in trouble. Like, what kind of arrangement do you have? Yeah, yeah. You as the general public, you're not allowed to pick anything from the uh, botanical gardens. Um, and with our agreement with them, um, most things are, are are fair game. Now, 
a lot of it's common sense, I would say, but common sense is hard to find these days. Uh, so I'll put it like, it's really simple. If you're going to forge something, make sure you forge it the proper way and you just don't go and hack it up. Like I would say to the chefs, give it a nice haircut, give it a 360 forge. So it looks like it hasn't been touched. Um, we're only allowed to take about 40% of, uh, the fruits or the flowers off of, uh, a plant or a shrub. Um, that way the, the, uh, the other guests can experience and, and, and see the, the, uh, you know, the, uh, let's say for the blood orange tree that's in here, they, they can see that as well. And they also have this really cool program with, uh, it's called the little sprouts where the kids can come in and see how like food is grown. I think that's really, that's all, really awesome. So we definitely, pre we preserve it. We protect it. We're ambassadors of the botanical garden. And if there's something we're not allowed to forge, we won't even look at it. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, what, how are you finding living in Adelaide? Cause obviously you've, you've cooked, um, around the world. I think people can listen to you and know that you weren't born in Australia, but what's Adelaide? I mean, how does Adelaide stack up as, as a, as a food city and as a place to live and cook? Um, yeah, it's, it's been uh, fantastic. Um, I just kind of ended up here, uh, randomly, I guess. Um, I mean, long story short, I was going to move back to America, had a uh, gig in Los Angeles. Um, but wanted to give Australia one more shot and living around the world, you know, Adelaide's a, is a sweet little spot to, to live, <laughs> to live in. Uh, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. Uh, it's definitely a little slower. Life's a little slower here, but in a good way, uh, traffic's not bad. I think it's a little known. It's a, it's the Adelaide people don't want anyone to know how awesome it is. <laughs> and, um, you know, the thing that really drew me over here was, was that there was great, uh, these wine regions that are producing some great wine also produces some great uh, produce. Uh, and where there's great wine, there's always great food. And when you, and doing a little research, there's a lot of awesome little uh, restaurants and bars all throughout uh, the CBD, but also these wine regions. Yeah, it is something that I really appreciate about Adelaide as well is, you know, you can be 10 minutes from the city, you're in the hills and it's really villagey and there's little farms and of course, yeah, all the wineries. It is, uh, it does feel like you're, you've got easy access to some really, really beautiful produce. Absolutely. And I looked across the, you know, the spectrum of, of restaurants and saw, that there was an opportunity and some potential to to bring in a restaurant that uh, was just just maybe a little bit different, you know, and uh, and and hopefully I look at it sometimes whether I'm that restaurant or not, you know, who knows, but sometimes all it takes is is one restaurant or uh, a group of restaurants to really change the dynamic of the hospitality scene in 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 any city to actually. So I hope to be part of that that movement continue the movement that's already been here yeah that's really really exciting i mean the the big conversation for everybody in hospitality probably around the world definitely in australia at the moment apart from covid is staff like there's just no staff everyone's hiring it's really hard to find people to retain them i mean how is that for you um in adelaide is is it this is it the same conversations that people are having oh absolutely I mean, I tell you, like coming from working in America and then in Europe and then coming to Australia, there was already a sore shortage of staff. Even when I came to Australia, you know, six and a half years ago, uh, looking for staff in Melbourne. Everybody goes to Melbourne and Sydney as well, looking for, you know, to work. 
and then those those cities have a hard time finding staff. So then when you start to branch out to these smaller cities like Brisbane and Adelaide, you, it's even harder to find those staff because the most of the staff that uh, restaurants and I can only speak for the restaurants I worked at, but most of the, the staff that I was hiring were international. You know, they're coming in on a working holiday visa or they're looking for some sponsorship. I mean, at the moment, there's you're not getting any of those international um, travelers coming in to that you typically would hire either. So, at the, you know, like we've been looking for a restaurant manager since <laughs> since uh, April and uh, what's now October, six months. You know, it's it's um, yeah, it's definitely challenging. Yeah. I mean, does it? It's sort of dampen what you're able to do with the restaurant when you don't have people in those key positions. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You, you, you know, you're as strong as your weakest link, and you you have to you you have to find ways to you know what were the traditional ways, and those aren't working anymore. So you you have to think outside the box. How how can we make this work so it doesn't even, it seem like we're understaffed? You know, and that's where it gets really tricky. But I also think it's really exciting at the same time. Um, you know, what at, 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 the, at my restaurant, we what we do now is, I mean, I know it's not anything new, but all the chefs do run food. The chefs actually help clear the tables. And there's a handful of chefs, more of the senior chefs, that set tables as well. We're learning about the wine matches as well. And some people might say, oh, you know, that that's, you know, there's something nice about Psalm there. But when you start actually wanting, oh, what I'm trying to create is an environment for profession, hospitality professionals. Because you can't just have someone stand there and just, you know, say I have 16 staff on to 40 guests, which is probably what I have on a Friday, Saturday night, which is a really good ratio. But then you're like, well, only eight will cook and only eight will serve. And my idea now is, well, all 16 will be able to help produce this experience. Some of us know how to make cocktails in case Jack in the bar gets slammed. We all know how to make pour over coffees. Uh, so no matter like there's all these little things in cross training now that, that I'm really trying to promote um, that help helps out the big picture. And that's how we're getting, I think that's how we're getting across, but also produces a team that is well educated across many different areas where they can talk to the guests and it creates just a, it, it creates a different vibe. You know, it's not like, you're the maitre d coming in greeting you and you don't have that captain in a section where you just only have those conversations with that person you're actually meeting everybody in the restaurant because that's what it takes to produce i guess you know in, in my setting a uh, 16 course uh, tasting menu <laughs> um and it's been a wild ride trying to train the team and try to execute that it's a work in progress I think it's, you know, it's really fascinating. You're definitely making a positive out of a crisis and that's, yeah, that's so commendable and I think it makes a lot of sense. But do you think it sort of blunts the pointy end of, you know, culinary creativity or perhaps, you know, that the real, when, that, that incredible elevated experience that uh, an, an amazing sommelier can bring to a wine experience? I mean, I, I can see that sort of meeting in the middle and the energy and the satisfaction that there would be in that. But do you think that there's things that you miss out on when you're doing that? Oh, I think you, you 100% you'll miss out on some things. That being said, we do have a, a great psalm that <laughs> handles any of the wine, um, uh, <laughs> any of the wine discussions with our guests and with the with the parents, um, night and day. I don't think uh, to the point. I don't think you can replace those, but there is an opportunity where you can get a little bit more 
I guess from a business side, you get a little bit more bang for your buck, but you can also create an experience where it's really is one team. We don't, we don't divide at all. There's not like, this is the back house. This is the front of house. It's, it's all hands on deck. Uh, Cause we have one goal and our goal is to deliver exceptional experience. And that, you know, if that means I have to pull out the vacuum at 1030, the vacuum, the dining room, cause some of the, front of house staff you know the dining room staff is is doing something else on that day then that's what will need to be done but you still i still believe on the question you have that you still need those key points we have a bar manager who looks after all our cocktails because he's a specialist in that we have two psalms uh a, a head psalm that looks after all the wine pairings and temperance as well um there's there's myself and uh uh my head chef jake um uh, Davies in the kitchen and specialists on the food. So we do have our specialists, but at the same time, we're trying to create an environment where everybody can kind of help each other out as well. And it creates a really unique environment to work on, work in as well. It's probably the most exciting team that I've been on because of the, 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 the checks and balances and how we, all help each other out. It's 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 really awesome to to see and to create, but also to be part of that. I can also imagine that in a city the size of Adelaide, that you you perhaps become an employer of choice or a restaurant of choice or a restaurant that everyone's talking about. That perhaps that actually is a really conducive environment to create that sort of um, staff experience because people aren't necessarily you know looking looking ahead to the to the next restaurant that they're going to work at in the same city. Mm. Yeah. I think we, yeah, like we, in general, we have to ask ourselves. Like, I ask myself, what are the, what are, what are my staff, you know, in my restaurant right now? What are they going to do after this? I think that's an important question to ask if you want to be a leader in the industry, um, and a leader in 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 hospitality. Like, what are they going to do next? Where are they going to go? Um, and I sometimes lose sleep over that because it's a hard question to answer. Like, where will they go in Adelaide? Where are they going to go somewhere in Australia? You know, like if we are able to travel soon will they go overseas you know like there's there's a, a bit of bigger questions here as well that i think need to be looked at and and somehow uh addressed um for the future of of the of the industry as well so it's sort of like you want to help them along you know to a really exciting career but at the same time aren't you just when it's so hard to find stuff aren't you just don't you just want to hang on to everybody oh absolutely i think you know the to, to accomplish something great, you know, whether, you know, whether it's a, a you know, in, definitely in the hospitality business, whether it's a, a burger shop, a cafe, a bistro or a fine dining restaurant, the most important, you know, the secret is the team. And the longer you can keep the team together, the, the, the more likely you will achieve your goals. And um, I'd like to keep the team on as, as long as possible. But, you know, that's, that's not how how it goes and things happen in people's lives whether they're they're ready to move on or they're ready for the next the next adventure trying to uh, you know i say like i say this you know if you're like i'm quite a seasonal chef so i only use asparagus once a year and let's say i've been cooking professionally you know 20 years and 10 years out of those 20 years i've been making my own menus but out of those 10 years, I've only used asparagus once. So that means in 10 years, I've only really understood and cooked and put asparagus on my menu 10 times. <laughs> when I start thinking like that, that blows my mind because I'm like, wow, I really don't know anything about asparagus. <laughs> and that's how I look at my team and say, if you come and do one year, you've only seen one year of every season. 
you really need to spend two to three years minimum to really understand the philosophy of that chef, of that restaurant. You need to go through the seasons. And, you know, that's and that's how you get the most out of it. But, uh, but I think that's how you get the most out of yourself as well, especially when you find a restaurant that has a great leader in it. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective because I think a lot of um, chefs are always about the next restaurant, you know, just soaking soaking up the experience and then doing the next thing. But I think, yeah, there is certainly something to be said for going through those cycles and, yeah, going deeper, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was looking to hire like two, let's say a chef, right, and there's two chefs in front of me, one spent the last three to four years at a restaurant, that maybe you didn't have, don't have, that's not a fine dining restaurant, but he's really keen and it's like, I want to take it to the next level. I want to learn, you know, different ideas and, and thoughts about cooking and et cetera, et cetera. And, or there was a chef that said, um, has worked in a couple of Michelin star restaurants, a couple of had restaurants, but he's only done, you know, nine months here, one month, uh, one year here, nine months. I'd probably go with the, the human that's been at the, uh, the place for three to four years that shows consistency and dedication. Because I know, to me, that's building a team. That's how I know I'll, if they stay with me for two, three, four years, that, that is, you're going to be a key to hitting our goals. Uh, Justin, let's talk a bit about your journey through food, but let's start right at the beginning. Like, tell me about you and food as a kid. Where was food in your life and where actually were you? Uh, yeah, so I was in Michigan uh, in the United States uh, in the metro Detroit area. Uh, is where I grew up, but Metro Detroit doesn't mean like we're we're in the gang hustling of Detroit, <laughs> just a nice little suburban town. Um, and uh, my mom was a pretty good cook. Uh, we always had family meal dinner, uh, like uh, cooked family meals, um, and that just ranged from a variety of things, like fish over the grilled over the barbie, uh, or some burgers, uh, some steaks, sometimes like. Uh, uh, some vegetarian dishes as well. Uh, she just loved food. Um, so I think that really got me into it. Uh, and then she, uh, I remember I was in grade five or six and she said, I had to start making my own, uh, lunches. Um, so like your, your brown paper bag lunch. So that's where I think I really was first introduced to actually cooking for myself. Um, and kind of this is the variety, you know, she's like, here's the bread, here's the turkey, here's some cheese, here's, you know, some condiments, just do whatever you, what you please. Um, so I, I usually just put double stuff Oreos in there, but, um, <laughs> the, yeah, uh, but that was probably the beginning. And then in grade seven, I said, I wanted to be a chef. And then I was cooking Thanksgiving, which I mean, yeah, I think everybody knows what Thanksgiving is, but it really is like... We know whole, what Thanksgiving is. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, you know, like green bean casserole. And I made all that. And then for Christmas, I'd make the Christmas dinner. And uh, you can you can get your license in America at 16. So it kind of goes side to side when you get your first job so you can afford gas to put in your car. And my first job was in a restaurant and and the, when I was 16. And I've worked in restaurants ever since. Um, with the occasional odd job in landscaping here and there. And then, but there's not really great, there's not exceptional restaurants in Michigan, I'm not going to lie. And America has a lot of, there's a lot of chain, you know, fast food restaurants that kind of take over a lot of the options. Um, so that's where I started, was probably just like in bars and bistros. But there's something that I think um, chefs um, 
when they come out of culinary school and they go, you know, say into a fine dining restaurant, that's only one, you know, style of cooking. Uh, and like, we only do 40 covers here in this, in, in restaurant Botanic. But in some of the restaurants I worked at, we did 400, you know, you do a thousand in a day. Um, and, and that's where I started to learn. Uh, and you learn how to work extremely fast, you know, and that's where you learn how to make like how you cook rice and pasta steaks on the, on the, on the grill or, you know, like wherever you're working. And when you're pumping those numbers out, there's something that you start to learn, like how to organize yourself and really, really go for it. And then where I started to really, uh, long story short, my dad told me to get a real job. So when I went to, I went to college university actually to be a civil engineer but during that time i was a sous chef in a restaurant working 50 hours a week plus doing my full-time schooling uh, after i graduated i said i wanted to be a chef and he said that's on you now and he felt like he did you know he set me up to be an engineer and uh, so i went to culinary school in uh, new uh, vermont which is the fourth smallest state in america and it's uh it was all about what they do in vermont it's all about farm to table it wasn't like a like a you know a uh it wasn't like just a trend it was like this is what we believe in we you every house has like a farm you grow your own produce and then you you harvest it and then you cook it and that's what that school was really about and it was very small like the chef instructor it was one chef instructor to about six to eight students for basically every class and uh i ended up then I worked for a couple master chefs from France, and traditionally I've been class trained cla um, in classic French uh, cuisine. And then I uh, saw, then I was starting to introduce myself into fine dining. And I remember I bought the Eleven Madison uh, Park cookbook, um, and I said that I never seen a cookbook like that because I I wasn't really inter introduced to those kind of Michelin star restaurants. I said that's where I want to work, and I. Um, I went, I did a trial there and then I went and did a trial at Blue Hill at Stone Barn and ended up working at Blue Hill at Stone Barn. Uh, and then 11 Madison Park said, oh, we, we would like to give you a position. And that's really what I really want, where I really wanted to work. So I took a, I took the job there and started all the way in the bottom as like, as like an apprentice commie where you didn't even really touch food. You, you put away all the toilet paper and paper towels. Uh, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best damn stock boy. <laughs> Essentially that's what you are, what, what the position was. And I'm just going to smash it out as hard as I can. And I organized it and made sure everything was just perfect. And then you just little tedious jobs, but it only lasted for about maybe four to six weeks. I mean, this is, this is nine years ago now when I first started there. Um, but, uh, yeah, very quickly I, I made it <laughs> as a chef there and spent uh nearly uh three and a half uh almost four years at, at that restaurant right and from there was, was was it from there that you came to australia yeah so and that that goes back to kind of what i was saying about you know staying at a restaurant for a long time and i really wanted to progress there i i, I loved working there not as just as a restaurant but as a it's a world it is a world-class restaurant but it's a world-class you know business it Every area of it is just three Michelin stars. The way they, the way they talk to the team, the way they they throw parties for the team, the way they they give you opportunities, like just everything about it. I just remember, like prior to that, you know, you just kind of getting like these, you know, like owners, like like little small business restaurants, and then you come to that, it was like wow, 
wow, there's this this way more to this. Um, it was it was a real eye opener for me. Just like a real training ground. Yeah, it really was like like a university of restaurants. It would it was a university, yeah. And like you go to university, you know what what's that? Three four years <laughs> to get a degree, and that's where I mean they taught me. It taught me every, you know, every, all that other stuff that build up of like cooking on, on the line and all these things and how to organize myself. Like I was not the cleanest chef when I started it by no means, but at the end I was, and I was super organized and it taught me how to, how to work like that, how to, how to think everything is three stars. Like the way you put away your produce, the way you label it, the way you cut labels. I mean, I could go on the way you fold your tea towel, the way you iron your apron. It was everything, you know, everything, there was a way to do everything. And I just, I absolutely love that. And, um, but it also was so much more like it was going through the seasons. The menu did change every, every season, you know, like we'll talk about the pro- like four seasons of the year and it was all new. And after a while I started to actually get an idea. Okay. This is what Daniel's going to put. I know what I think he's going to put parsnip on. He loves using parsnips. How is he going to do it? And every year was different. But after that three or four years of seeing it, you know, okay, now I understand it. I could, you know, I started to get an idea of it, but it really was the way they, they season their food and the, the way they just really pushed the salt and the acidity, but the richness or texture, whatever you, whatever, whatever you want to pick, you know, the five tastes, but I also say there's way more, to, way more to season addition, the five tastes, they just push it to the limit. And I really, under, and I, I, I'm never forgotten that. And I, I always, that's how I season my food uh, to the day. But, um, yeah, it comes to the point where I, I wanted to continue to grow in that company. But, the you know, at some of these restaurants, especially in New York, you know, to move up in a in – a, it's like nowadays chefs are like, oh, I've done this section for six months. I'm like, and your point? <laughs> um, like, you know, you have to wait – in New York, you have to wait for somebody to, to like, either die or uh, to, to move out of the city to, to get promoted. And I, I thought I waited enough, and I said, okay – I'm not getting any younger here. Let's 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 do some traveling. And I said, "What's the farthest place for America?" And that's got to be Australia. <laughs> um, and just spun the spun the map. And uh, I worked with um, Stephen there, and he's uh, he he's a chef in Melbourne at Omni, the executive chef. We all spent some time at Vudamon. Uh, I said, "Hey, mate, can I can I crash on your couch for a few weeks? Uh, I'm gonna come to Melbourne. I'll, I'm gonna try to get a job at Attica." And I had a working holiday visa, and he said, um, "Oh, you can crash on my couch, but I'm working at Vudamon. Why don't you just come um, work there for the first six months, and then work at Attica after the for the next six months?" I said, "All right, that sounds good." And uh, that's how I got introduced to uh, Vudamon and, and started working there. And but you never left there and went to Attica, did you? No, I didn't. Because long story short. I remember I still, I, I don't think he works anymore, but there was a guy named James Schnell that was like, oh, you look like someone that we would hire, et cetera. So it was basically like locked in for Attica, but I just drew them on. Basically what happened was then three months. So like, would you like to be, uh, I think I started in May and then three months. So like, would you like to be sous chef? And I said, yeah, I'd like to be sous chef. And then that January, they're like, would you like to be the head chef? And I was like, sure. And then a few months later, I was like, do you, would you like to be the executive chef? And I was like, yeah. That, that sounds all right. Melbourne, Melbourne's awesome. I can see myself here for a bit. Um, yeah, so it was a very quick progression, I would say, that was um, not expected. <laughs> it was not part of the, the plan. That escalated. <laughs> and they sponsored you, did they? Yeah, they, yeah, they sponsored me. And, and, uh, and uh, 
and I was I always said like I, I went that took me from like you know at that point I've only really had a few uh, senior roles, some not great restaurants, and a little bit of you know just eye openings here and there. But yeah, that that was probably you know my first real head chef gig. <laughs> It definitely was my first head chef gig. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. I was like, whoa. And it's a lot. I mean, that restaurant is is a beast. There's a lot of aspects to it. But just let's just go back to Eleven Madison Park. What do you reckon about the whole um vegetarian thing, Justin? Yeah, I mean I you know, if there was a restaurant that I was gonna do it, I, I would definitely say it would be Eleven Madison. I remember seeing this quote they always had and I, I love it, is to stay the same, you must change. And you know they're just constantly evolving. Um, I was at a point, uh, and this ties back into that question, was where I went actually vegan for about a year and a half, and it changed my whole um, outlook of cooking. And and I can so I can kind of I get the point of what what Daniel's trying to do there. I I totally embrace it because I don't think meat products moving forward. You know, it's like he says, they're not against me. They're just pro planet. And, and when I, and I, I, I'm on the same page uh, of that. I think to people should eat less meat and less seafood, not also for one, for health reasons, but two, for the planet. Uh, and there's, this will always go back and forth, you know, like the people that raise the cattle and stuff saying it's, it's good for the planet. Like, uh, but I think there is, I think people just in general, this, this disconnect where you can grow into coals or woolies and you just grab a pack of chicken breasts, you know, and it's like a 600 gram pack and it's $9. And they actually don't think that that's part of it. Like there was an animal to that. I could see it in the restaurant with the guests. So I, I try to be a bit provocative is like, is if I can serve you meat, I want to make sure you know that came from a living animal. And, um, yeah, I'm totally for it. I can just keep going on about that. To be honest, I can just ramble on. No, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I think there's probably no real argument against eating less meat. You know, as as a species, like we should definitely eat meat more thoughtfully. Um, I think you know, there's definitely ways to eat meat ethically. But I agree that for you know, in a lot of scenarios, meat is eaten very thoughtlessly and without that understanding of you know the life that was taken and the, and the whole animal that you know that that uh, chicken breast was attached to or, or whatever it is. What what do you do to try to recreate that connection for people in a dining setting? Well, I think you know. Everybody should be willing to pay more money for meat and seafood, especially seafood. I think it's just way too cheap out there. Uh, and in the way to reconnect it though, for, for, for my diners is, is, is to bring in a little like, you know, here's the heart. You know, we, um, we have uh, – we serve some duck. Uh, it's the only meat dish. We only, I only serve one meat dish uh, here. Most of it is other than uh, the rest of the menu is vegetables and, uh, a little, and seafood. And all the pro- all the produce is know where it comes from. Instead of buying your meat at Coles, go to a butcher. The butcher will probably know where where the beef's coming from or chicken. They can give you a good story. Uh, but you're more likely to get the awful as well. So I, I like to show, um, you know, the uh, some of the ducks that I get had the head on. Well, we might bring the head out, you know, just to show you. Uh, we might serve you the duck heart dressed in a little duck heart garum. Uh, we might show you you know the liver i think those those little things and they don't need to be big portions most of them are like one or two bites little snacks like here try this try that try this we you know 
we're trying to utilize, you know, not just the the prime cuts, but these these second these second cuts that if you know what you're doing are as delicious or even more delicious than you know a duck breast <laughs> or a tenderloin on a on a on a on a, on a piece of beef. Um, and I think that's how you connect. That's how I look at it and connect it back. When you make those connections, do you sort of see people? I mean, do they recoil? Do they embrace it? Do you, can you see people's minds being changed? Like, do you do you feel like you are doing, you know, some important work there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you can see it. Like, it's even like let's you know, it's even like with insects and stuff like that. I mean, you can see it. Like, oh, green ants or duck heart. You can really see it. You know, the other day I did duck tongues. You could just sometimes the guests are all about it. You know, whether they're experienced diners, uh, some guests whether just they just have such a closed mind or you know. Or they're just not willing to eat. They're like, I'm not going to eat a bug. Or I'm not going to eat a heart. Um, others are coming into the restaurant, you know, to try something new. And it's very clear, like, people's emo- uh, body language. Body language tells it all, I would say. And when you're in hospitality, it's, you're, in the, you're in the business of actually reading people. You, you know, you connect with people. <laughs> we do, you know, on a Friday, we do lunch and dinner. That's 80 guests. Well, in one day, I've at least talked to 80, 80 humans, and everyone everyone's different. So, hold another conversation. But going back, you can you can really see it. It really does push the boundaries, and I think that's important for a restaurant. Some some restaurants to do that. Well, I guess you know, and going back to what you were saying before about this sort of cross pollination of skills and you know chefs on the dining floor, I suppose that that is that does uh, help that along as well when you do make sure that if people who are cooking for people are actually also engaging with those people. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. I, um, I say there's always a book, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, it's called blink, like blink of the eye, uh, make a judgment, you know, go with your gut. That's usually the first one. So you really have to, you really have to, you know, in a blink of the eye, almost, you know, kind of judge that the, the table, like you have to, to really connect with them. Cause we want to make a connection. We want to, they're here for three, four hours. And that's where I think you create an exceptional experience as well, is you actually listen to the guests. You know, I always say to the staff, it's like, don't just go and say, this is oyster with green ants. First, ask them a question to engage with them. That's how you would have a conversation with a human. Have you ever had green ants? And instantly, you know, we could, I could do two tables side by side, and one, I could just tell them about the green ants, or I could just ask them if they ever had it. And it's always two different conversations. One's actually interested, because you ask you that, ask them a question. You know, we're not a restaurant. We don't turn tables. We don't want you to leave. Uh, we're happy to 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 look after you for as long as you like to be here. Take a little mini holiday, um, and that's the, the key to that to make them feel comfortable is to listen, ask them questions, and, and try to and try to give them the best experience tailored to to their wants and needs with what we what we're capable of doing and and our own values of the restaurant. That sounds really appealing, I have to say. And uh, when you said when you said take a little holiday, I I kind of swooned. It's like the idea of taking a little holiday. I know it's going to happen soon, but <laughs> it hasn't happened for a while. Um, Justin, it's been so incredible to talk to you. Um, just as we wrap it up, is there anything we haven't touched on that you really want to say? Uh, uh, I mean, I think we talked talked a bit about everything there. Uh, I. I I hope that, you know, from my Melbourne peeps, that I hope you guys come out of that lockdown and really embrace the hospitality industry and, and really support them and actually enjoy dining out, you know, because it's, 
in general, dining out to me is, is part of general, you know, our everyday life. It really is mini holidays during the week where you can forget about maybe work or an argument with a, a your partner or some financial, whatever it may be. Like, just chill out, really enjoy it, and 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 re- be respectful to the to the staff that work in hospitality as well. That's something that's been kicking kicking me up a little bit. But yeah, well, you know, a lot of us want to actually work in restaurants. You know, we could have been a lot of us had an opportunity to do whatever we wanted in life. We wanted to really create something special for you yeah Um, well i i know that i'm personally very grateful to anyone who's made that life choice and continues to make it and stick with it there are so many people that have left the industry like yes there's there's fewer internationals here at the moment and we all know why but um there are also people who are here but they've left the industry i mean what would you say to someone who's sort of sitting on that fence and just wondering if hospitality is still for them yeah you know that <laughs> that's it. That's an excellent question. Um, you know, it's whew, that's to each their own. Because I'd be honest, I've been I've sat there before and, and asked myself that, uh, especially after VU. I've you know, it's like is is fine dining is doing this is it all you know is it all worth it if it's not? And uh, you know, I would give give yourself really think about it because you did pick that you did choose this you know this industry or this 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 as a career and ask yourself why you did maybe try to reunite that flame go have you know just reach out to other people in the industry and chat to them or maybe remove yourself from the industry for a bit and just look at different um outlets what you can do or maybe think about what you can do in this industry because there's a lot more to to food or beverage or service than just a restaurant you know there's there's a lot of different opportunities out there and maybe go down there for a little bit and see. Because for me, I, I did leave fine dining for a little bit. And there was part of me that I was like, I have to create. I have to create something that's just different. I have to, you know, pair, you know, like I have to create this experience. I, it's like, it's just part of me. It's I can't, it, it won't leave. And I, since I've accepted it, I've enjoyed my life a lot more. So maybe those kind of words can help someone out. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot in what you've just said, Justin, and I think, yeah, it will resonate with a lot of people. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story, your approach and your wisdom today. It's been so great to catch up with you and I cannot wait to head over to Adelaide and to take that six-minute walk from the gates to the restaurant and then just, um, yeah, have uh, let you take me on a culinary journey. I'm really excited. Uh. I'll look forward to the day, Danny. And thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.